Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our exploration of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's direct examination of Gage Grosskreutz, during which the witness shared what happened leading up to the defendant shooting him. On today's episode, we conclude our look at Binger's direct, including Grosskreutz's account of Rittenhouse's bullet ripping through his bicep. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor Thomas Binger was asking Gage Grosskreutz about the moments before Kyle Rittenhouse fired the shots that struck Anthony Huber and the witness. Grosskreutz initially testified that he pulled out his firearm after the defendant started firing his rifle. Binger pointed out that there were images showing that Grosskreutz pulled out his weapon before those shots were fired. After that correction, Binger played a video clip of the shootings recorded by Brendan Gutenschwager for his BG On The Scene website. We begin today with Binger asking Grosskreutz about the moment that he saw Rittenhouse fire his weapon. Did you witness the defendant fire two shots at that man on the left? I did. Did you witness him fire a shot into Mr. Huber's chest? I did. So when you come upon the defendant at this point, do you recall what you were holding in your hands? I do. What, what were you holding? In my right hand, I had my Glock pistol, and in my left hand, I had my uh, cell phone. What was going through your mind at this particular moment? That I was gonna die. The prosecutor plays a bit more of the BG on the scene clip. The video POV has moved south on Sheridan Road behind Rittenhouse, and as it is paused again, we see the defendant sitting on the ground. Grosskreutz crouches near him and appears to be cowering as Rittenhouse aims the rifle at him. There's a time in this video when you appear to hold your hands up. Do you know about that? Do you recall that? I do. Why did you do that? After Anthony Huber was shot, um, you can see in the video, I'm not too far behind him. Um, and the defendant had, after murdering Anthony Huber. Okay. Uh, the objection is sustained that whether uh, the death of Anthony Huber was caused by murder or not is for you jurors to decide and not for the witness. So please uh, keep that in mind that uh, and people, when they're in the court and they're testifying, uh, they can be affected by their emotions, sometimes by their jobs. And uh, and they will, for someone who comes into a physician, for example, with a gunshot wound, may be identified as a victim. 
And that's the language that they speak in the hospital because the person comes in with a gunshot wound. Here in the court, where the issue is yet to be determined whether someone's a victim or not, and it's to be based on the evidence presented in court and it's a decision to be made by you jurors, not by a witness, not by the judge, not by the prosecutor or the defense attorney. So uh, I'm going to ask you to strike the comment, which was this witness's view of the subject, and uh, because it carries no weight. It's for you folks to decide. Any question about that? Okay, thanks. Go ahead. After Judge Schrader sustains the defense objection, Binger plays the BG on the scene clip again and freezes the frame at a slightly earlier moment than on the last occasion. Grosskreutz's hands are in the air and he begins to move into a crouch as Rittenhouse aims the rifle at him. So you had just seen Mr. Huber get shot? Correct. And so what was going on in your mind? Uh, I was very close to the defendant. Um, and I, I, I thought there was a high likelihood that I, I would be shot myself. Binger replays the clip and pauses it in a similar spot. At this point in the video, is the defendant pointing his AR-15 at you? Yes, he is. And you have your hands raised in the air at this point? I do. Did you see the defendant do anything with his gun after you put your hands up? I did. What did you see him do? Um, it's a, uh, an action that's uh, typically referred to as uh, re-racking, um, uh, a firearm. Um, it's after the defendant had pointed his rifle at me and put my hands up. And then the defendant, uh, like I said, did this motion, what's called re-racking, and that's essentially where you take the, the, the slide, uh, which on a Air 15 like that would be on the top, and pull back, pull back. And what that does is, depending on if there was already a, already a, a bullet or a round in the chamber, which would mean it would, would be ready to fire, as so you can put in a magazine, uh, which where the bullets are held and the firearm won't be able to fire. But as soon as you then pull the slide back, like on a pistol or on an AR-15 on the top, that then either loads the rifle or the firearm for it to be ready to fire, or if there was already a round previously in the chamber, that then ejects that round or casing, if that round had been spent, um, and then reloads the next bullet into the chamber or the barrel. So after you raised your hands like this, you saw the defendant re-rack the weapon? Correct. What did you think was going to happen? In my experiences and in my inference uh, in that moment, for the defendant had pointed his weapon at me and I had put my hands in the air. Re-racking the weapon, in my mind, meant that the defendant pulled the trigger while my hands were in the air, but the gun didn't fire. So then by re-racking the weapon, I 
inferred that the defendant wasn't accepting my surrender. Did you feel that he was going to point the gun and shoot at you again? Yes. What did you do then? So after the defendant had re-racked his weapon with the rifle still aimed at me, in that moment, I felt that I, I had to do something to try and prevent myself from being being killed or being shot or, or killed. Um, and so I decided that the best course of action would be to close the distance between the defendant and I, and then um, you know, from there, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if it meant trying when Anthony had just tried wrestling the gun, detaining the defendants, I, 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 I don't know, because uh, I never had an opportunity. Um, I do know, though, I was never trying to kill the defendant. That was never, never something that I was trying to do. In that moment, I was trying to preserve my own life. But doing so while also taking the life of another is not something that I'm capable or comfortable in doing. That goes against almost a lifelong ethical code that I've lived by in, 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 regards, to, in regards to medicine. Curiously, rather than asking the witness to expand upon this emotional moment of this traumatic experience, Prosecutor Binger again asks for the clip to be replayed. In the video, we see the witness move a bit closer to the defendant, as if trying to pass in front of Rittenhouse from Grosskreutz's left to his right. As Grosskreutz passes the defendant, Rittenhouse follows the witness's movement with his rifle from his right to his left and fires, hitting Grosskreutz in the right bicep. The injured Grosskreutz begins to retreat north on Sheridan Road, and Rittenhouse gets off the ground and heads south. As the image freezes again, Binger asks, Mr. Grosskreutz, after seeing the defendant shoot at one person at close range twice, shoot at Mr. Huber in the chest once, and having already been told by others in the crowd that he'd previously already shot someone else, and having him point the gun at you, and you're holding your own pistol in your hand, Why didn't you take your own gun and shoot the defendant first? Like I said, that's not the kind of person that I am. That's not why I was out there. That's not why I was out there for 75 days prior to that. Why I spent up until that point, spent my time, my money, my education, providing care for people. That's not, it's not who I am. And definitely not somebody that I would want to become. And in that moment, I thought it, it would, I tried to attempt a, a, a 
non-lethal way to end that interaction. When the defendant shot you, where were you hit? I was hit in my right bicep. What kind of damage did that do? Um, I effectively lost a, a large majority of my right bicep. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The prosecutor warns the jury that the next images that he will show are graphic. He then presents a series of photos of Grosskreutz featuring the remains of his arm, which has a large, bloody, open wound where his bicep should be. Binger then plays a video recorded by independent journalist C.J. Halliburton of the witness sitting on Sheridan Road being treated by Jason Lakowski as police officers approach them in a bearcat. Mr. Grosskreutz, the last video we watched uh, had some uh, police individuals with their armored vehicles uh, and they appeared to be uh, escorting you away. Would that be fair to say? What happened after that? Um, after uh, the police officers that uh, uh, responded in the Bearcat or that armored personnel carrier, um, they assisted me getting into the back of it, um, the inside. Uh, from what I remember, it's designed. There's two benches on either side with a pretty narrow walkway. Um, from here, uh, I had officers on either side of me. Uh, I had been seated on the floor in between the two bench seats. And then from there, I remember um, having a conversation with uh, what I'm going to assume was the medic on that. Uh, I don't know if that was a SWAT team or what the organization of that unit was, but uh, it appeared to me that whoever I was having this interaction with, this conversation with, was the medic for lack of a more specific term. Um, from there, um, from what I remember, um, this SWAT medic um, was attempting to start an IV on me. Um, we then um, had a conversation regarding whether or not uh, well, let me back that up. Um, while this medic was trying to start an IV on me, I had begun asking him to apply another tourniquet because my arm was still bleeding. So as far as uh, medical practices can go, if the 
whatever wound is still bleeding with a single tourniquet. The idea is you want this thing to be very, very tight to stop all blood flow. The idea is uh, life over limb. After a break, Grosskreutz testifies about his medical treatment, including the multiple surgeries necessary to clean the wound and repair what could be repaired. During the testimony of other witnesses, the defense pointed out that Gage Grosskreutz refused to share his cell phone with authorities and that those authorities chose not to compel him to do so, thereby treating him differently than other witnesses. Prosecutor Binger appears to try to get out in front of that line of cross-examination with his next set of questions for the witness. Did there come a time in which law enforcement officers came to speak to you at the hospital? That's correct. Did they ask you to sign a release for them to obtain your medical records? They did. And did you, in fact, do so? I did. Did you also provide the uh, officers with a uh, statement about what had happened to you? Yes, I did. And did you describe to them the fact that you had been recording uh, the night's events on a Facebook live stream? Yes, I did. When you say a Facebook live stream, is that something that if someone's on Facebook, they could possibly see that if they wanted to? That is correct. Did you also have a copy of that video on your phone? No, not a physical copy. Where was the actual file itself in, in the world, if you will? When you record something on Facebook live, it, it gets stored in your profile videos, photos. Um, so while I didn't have a physical copy of it on my phone, I was able to access the recording via my Facebook through my phone. That makes sense. Were the police, did you make them aware of the fact that there was that video out there? Yes, I did. Around the time that you were in the hospital that night after the shooting, in the early morning hours, etc., um, did you become concerned about your own personal safety? Yes, I did. Can you tell us about that? After the events of August 25th, um, it was made known to me pretty quickly that uh, people online and in person um, were... Sure sounds like it. It goes to a state of mind, Your Honor. There's a state of mind about what? Cooperating. You see, the rule is you can't buttress credibility unless it's attacked. It has been, with the detective's testimony, Your Honor. There's been questioning over his cooperation level already. I'm going to overrule the objection and, and allow the evidence. But and we're working again with the hearsay rule. So I'm not going to permit the evidence to be considered as proof of what he may have seen or heard about what was on the Internet, but rather as proof of circumstances operating on his mind. Does that make sense? So it isn't to be taken as true uh, if, let's, for example, I'm, I'm gathering you're going to suggest there was some suggestion of harm, potential harm. It's not being offered to prove that there was, in fact, a true risk from any particular source of any harm, but rather um, what he concluded based upon the information that he heard. Make sense? Okay. Thank you. Please continue telling us about um, your concerns for your safety. It had been made aware to me that uh, people online were making threats, um, going above just personal opinion, as well as um, people coming outside 
my place of residence, family members, including my mother, my grandmother, an aunt that I had hardly talked to, that, that became very concerning. Did there come a time in which the investigating officers asked you for access to everything on your cell phone? Through my attorney, yes, I did. Was that something that you were interested in turning over to law enforcement? At the time, I was, I, I was under the impression that I was fully cooperating, and so yes, uh, that is something that I was willing to do. Did that actually happen? No, that did not. Do you know why not? At the time, no. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Did you personally ever make a decision to refuse to give over all of the contents of your cell phone to law enforcement? Did you personally? I never personally refused that, no. Bingo concludes his direct examination of Grosskreutz by asking him about the lasting damage done to his arm by the shooting. After everything that you've been through, Mr. Grosskreutz, do you still have any um, physical issues with your arm? Yes. Can you tell us about that? Uh, apart from the um, obvious loss of tissue, uh, muscle doesn't grow back. Um, aside from that, um, and, and perhaps things being difficult, like larger, heavier things being difficult uh, to lift, I do have uh, a neurological deficit on my arm. So I would say about here, about here where the injury is. Essentially all of this and through my thumb, through my thumb, I'm not able to feel. Um, I am able to move it, uh, but there is no sensation in that area. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we begin our look at the defense team's cross-examination of Gage Grosskreutz. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.